Hello, and welcome to the ArborPod Detective Dandro series. Today's guest is Guy Mayer and Michael Ormston Hollow in the case of the Alder Alternatives. This podcast is provided by the International Society of Arboriculture. Cody and I were taking in the Canadian experience at the ISA conference in Toronto. Five days of fun with friends old and new. The topics seemed to focus on tree biomechanics, with examples from research and practice confirming the principle that careful reduction of branches and trees can increase trees' stability. On the trade show floor, I was chatting up some folks at a booth when I noticed a chap down on his knees, excitedly pulling up the panels of their flooring and exulting about its shock-absorbent qualities and wood grain design. Odd behavior for an arborist, I thought, so I leaned in to listen. The chap looked up, his excitement elevated. Detective Dendro, he exclaimed. I'm Captain Canada. I've been hoping to run into you here. We have some established white alder trees, all in this rhombofolia, in a park nearby that have been shedding leaves since early summer, and now they're losing branches. We need to learn why it's happened so suddenly, and how to manage the problem. Could you take a moment and have a look at them with me? We can ride bicycles up there and take in some of the tree scenery along the way. That sounds great, Coda chimed in. After all this time inside, it'd be great to get outside where the trees are. Coda's point was well taken, and the chap's enthusiasm was infectious, so... After the sessions were done for the day, we rented bikes and rode. On our first stop, we saw an ironwood, Austria, Virginiana, in front of a fraternity building. Uh, this tree is an example of a successful planting project by a nonprofit, Canada explained. It was rated in good condition and a lasting asset to the community. It was a fine choice of species for the site, and its foliage is so attractive. Our quick inspection revealed a dead central leader, the flare buried over 10 centimeters, 4 inches, and roots circling the trunk. The red mulch had been colonized by grass, and the tree was shredded by string trimmers. Canada showed us the informational pamphlet distributed by the nonprofit. It contained the familiar but flawed phrase, plant the root ball at grade. I did my best to be diplomatic. I would urge the nonprofit to consult the ANSI A300 standards on planting. They will see it is the tree flare, where the roots spread out, that should be at grade, as nature intended. Flares are often buried inside root balls from birth. The buyer and the installer both need to find the flare. The arborist can accomplish this objective later on, costing more and curing less. As we rode to the next site, we passed row after row of young maple trees. Our native sugar maples are on our country's flag, and quite familiar to the residents. Canada said as we waited at a red light, coated picking maple leaves out of his riding goggles. The approved species list was diversified to include silver maple, Acer saccharinum, red maple, Acer rubrum, and the hybrid Freeman's maple, Acer ex freemanii. Uh, lately, local landscape architects have embraced these species. They have become major players in Toronto's urban landscapes. Red maples are common in other cities as well, Coded added. Diversity is a value quality and the theme of this year's conference. Our next stop was a planting of plane trees, Platinus X Acerfolia, in a commercial district. I struggled to lock the bike to the odd-shaped structure that was installed for that purpose. Huh, form did not follow function with that design either, Canada said, shaking his head and turning to the trees. Many of these plane trees have been replaced already, and still are many are declining. All the soil here is artificial, and the mix is being adjusted for drainage and nutrients. 
Plus, the merchants are regularly reminded that salt is harmful to the trees. Yet they spread de-icing salt at every sign of snow. Fear of slip and fall lawsuits seem to trump concern over tree loss. Levels of other pollutants are high, from traffic and dog waste and littering, like these cigarette butts. I flicked a few from the funnel-shaped intersection of the panels of polished granite sidewalk. Plane trees in northern Europe do quite well in harsh urban conditions, Coded pointed out. There must be something else wrong with these. I chiseled away some of this dirt they call soil. Take a look at this adventitious root. It's three centimeters, 1.2 inches, below the surface. We soaked up Kodit's observation and pedaled onward to a third site, which featured a variety of trees planted along a highway. This research plot is testing many species for their tolerance of roadside conditions, Canada explained. Over one-third of the species are soft maples in the specification the compost is incorporated 60 centimeters, 2 feet deep, and tree spacing is 2 meters, 6 feet apart. In the field, it's something else again. Coda was already going to work. He pulled a soil probe out of the ground and pointed to the core sample. Pure compost on the surface means the weeds are taller than the trees. This poor oak tree is stunted by that fast-growing soft maple, 1 meter, 3 feet, to the south. Researchers work diligently to deliver good data, but rely on quality fieldwork for reliable results. We mounted our vehicles and rode to our ultimate destination, the village of Yorkville Park. This landscape was built after an international design competition in 1991, Canada began. The park is a celebration of the history of the village of Yorkville and reflects the diversity of the Canadian landscape. Orchards for Canada's fruit production, pine groves for the boreal forest, wildflowers for the prairie provinces, and alders for the northern plantations. The alders grew quite well for over 10 years, but recently developed a problem. As he carried his lunch to a table under the alders, Godet's feet crunched on dead leaves. I pulled the brow of my fedora down to keep the sun out of my eyes. The sleeves of my trench coat stuck slightly to the stained black table. It's kind of neat how they put that artificial snow on the branches to simulate the conditions up north, Kodit remarked as he looked upward. The shade was deeper in June when the leaves began falling, Canada continued. The planning partnership is actively trying to build its arboriculture department, so I want to do a particularly good job on this park. Not only do we need to learn the reason for this premature shedding, but also why it developed so recently, and what we can do to improve the situation in this urban setting. I swallowed my first bite of a delicious onion sandwich and tapped my feet to the Dixieland music coming from a nearby cafe. The cause is much easier to determine than the timing, but we saw that answer twice on our tour today. As for mitigation options, you might consider a harvester. That is not artificial snow on the branches, but masses of woolly alder aphid, Paraprosyphilus tessellatus, Canada began. Alders have always been around, and these were grown well, so how could the aphids surface so suddenly? The recent rise in numbers is due to the introduction of its alternate hosts, the soft maples, I clarified. The woolly alder aphid has a complex life cycle. The spring generation feeds on maples and reproduces by parthenogenesis. Females give birth to live females without a male involved. No time is wasted on mating since the young are essentially clones of their mother, so aphid populations can increase rapidly. 
In late spring and summer, winged adults fly to alder to feed and populations can explode. In the fall, there's a winged generation of both males and females that look like flying fuzzballs. These move to soft maples, their alternate host, where the females lay eggs that overwinter. Sweet sap strengthens the spring generation, which flies back to the alders in summer. As those species of maple got popular, the juvenile aphids had plenty of habitats. So, the adults became a pest on the alders. I frowned at the sooty leaves on my trench coat. Premature shedding put a strain on the tree's resources, which explains the dead branches. Chemical controls are a challenge to institute in our political climate, especially in an urban park, Canada noted. Other potential treatments include natural biological controls. Bats and birds can intercept aphids in flight, but there are way too few of these aerial allies in our city. Lacewings, lady beetles, and hoverflies eat aphids, but they're difficult to keep in one place. The wildflowers provide some habitat for these beneficials, but uh, it would be good to have more help. Absolutely. That's my reference to a harvester. Specifically, the harvester butterfly, Phenisica tarconius. I winked at my youthful guide. Caterpillars of the harvester butterfly are the only carnivorous butterfly caterpillars in North America, and they eat only aphids. The adult butterflies feed on aphid honeydew, an added benefit. Small in size, the adults spend most of their time near the aphid prey, have an erratic flight, and do not feed at flowers, so they're probably considered less common than they actually are. The female butterflies lay their eggs among the aphids. Camouflaged with white hairs, the caterpillars look like aphids. After hatching, the caterpillars consume the surrounding aphids. Harvesters can have extra generations per year due to this exceptionally nutritious food source. Canada took the cue. As we look into relationships between species, whether predator and prey, host and parasite, or herbivore and plant, other species are connected to them in a complex web. John Muir described these connections long ago. Large black ants walk around and over the aphids to get honeydew. Wasps come in for an occasional sugary treat too. Exotic ladybird beetles can devour aphids, but the ants keep the ladybird beetles away. Ants are actually aphid herders and protect their flocks of aphids. An amazing relationship, I agreed. However, the ants don't recognize the camouflaged caterpillars as a threat to their herd. So these caterpillars are really wolves in fuzzy white sheep's clothing. The harvester butterfly has something in common with the ginkgo tree. It's the only species in its genus. This singular associate might be a key player in the control of the pest and the preservation of the community's asset in these alders. I guess I was wrong about diversity. Planting soft maples really created a major problem here, Coda admitted. Let's recruit the local Audubon group to help set up some fake patches of aphids and feed the caterpillars superfood to boost butterfly populations and fuel Mother Nature's hit squad. Canada stroked his wispy chin. Well, now, that's a fine idea. Good luck with that one there, eh? We hope you enjoyed this episode of the ArborPod Detective Dandro series. You can earn CEUs for these podcasts. Just log in at the ISA store, click on online CEU quizzes, and find the Detective Dendro quizzes. Stay tuned for the next ones. This podcast is provided by the International Society of Arboriculture. Mm-hmm.